0: Welcome to the Troxell Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. I've paused recording new episodes for a break here at the end of 2022, but that doesn't mean that you have to go without. In the spirit of reinforcing my intention to create on-demand resources that stand the test of time, and that these episodes are not the you-had-to-be-there-each-week-when-they-were-released type, please enjoy some of my select replay episodes that have great guests, fantastic conversations, and valuable topics for elevating the architectural profession especially as it pertains to the role of technology in the evolution of architectural practice. If you want even more, please check out my Troxel episode database, TED for short, at trxl.co slash TED, where you can find my entire catalog of episodes categorized by keywords and more. As always, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. how have you been?
1: I've been good yeah been uh it's been busy I mean the the last uh you know since March I've been in the office once since March yeah yeah um our firm basically said like you know at least our U.S. offices like aren't even going to try to put together a plan until after the end of the year which you know of course like makes sense like what are you gonna do so but we're also I don't know I think we were pretty well set up for it. You know, we'd already, like, all the technology staff were familiar with working from mm-hmm. home. And and we had everything set up. And we kind of accidentally, well, not accidentally, but, we, you know, we transitioned pretty That's well. Good. Um, we were accidentally very prepared.
0: <laughs> you didn't do it on purpose, <laughs> but, man, you were ready for it. That's yeah. good.
1: We were ready. We were ready That's so cool. <laughs> yeah.
0: Man, we, are you guys? we're, uh, I, yeah, I, I would say, it's what, funny you said that we were th- they kind of said we're not going to make up a plan until after you know 2020 is over. I think that's a smart move. I think uh, what I've seen happen is they've they've pre announced a couple of potential back to the office dates, only to have to cancel them. Right. So it it yeah. didn't make any sense to <laughs> to make it because they're yeah. trying to give people some hope of getting back to normal. But let's be honest: if kids are not in school, there's no back to work. It's just oh, not going to yeah, happen. Of
1: course, yeah. I mean, there are some countries that are just like giving up on school for a year and like you know why why string people along well so
0: you said (laughs) your your kids in kindergarten my my oldest just his last year of high school was last year and so he missed half of a year of his senior year oh yeah and now i've got um i've got a junior and i've got a sophomore and i've got a freshman and
1: you got like a dorm room in your house
0: (laughs) (laughs) i thought you were all gonna leave (laughs) yeah that's that's a scary proposition thanks for bringing that up (laughs) yeah
1: well my wife and i were joking like
0: oh this was the year that you were gonna get to like she's
1: a stay-at-home mom it's like this was your year that you were going to get to like stay at home and eat bonbons and like you've earned it you know and now it's like oh no now you're going to kindergarten (laughs)
0: you get to be a teacher and (laughs) yeah yeah Brutal. So oh, have you guys joined yep. the craze of now that you're home and you see everything that's wrong with your home, you have to fix everything?
1: <laughs> I am literally building a uh, an ADU on our property are right you? now. I'm building an entire
0: contractor yep. style. That's awesome, man.
1: But yeah, I mean, when else are you going to get this kind of opportunity? Like just my commute time alone yeah. is... You know, what, ten hours a yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean there's there's so Valentine. much Yeah, I feel like I'm I'm working less and getting more done mm-hmm. somehow. You know, like I have more time for my family and I'm being more productive at work and my own ambitions. Cut a lot of slop out of the system, I yeah. think. The only big downfall is, you know, like those spontaneous work interactions that create the opportunity to build something or you know learn that someone is doing something in a way that can be improved or you know we're, we're kind of talking in the technology department about you know like academic office hours or some kind of thing that you know once things go back kind of go to normal it doesn't make sense for me to be I, I was already working from home 20 percent of the time but it doesn't make sense for me to like be in there all the time but having scheduled things and then also an opportunity to walk through the office and be like how did you make that how late were you here last night you know (laughs)
0: yeah just the opportunity to overhear a conversation and and like let it allow your gears to to spin for a little bit or you know maybe you've already got an idea that could make a difference right then and that just does isn't happening as much as it as it used to i also miss like just the the coffee bar interaction with the senior PA who I've known for fifteen years and we talk about cars or, you know, what car show he mm-hmm. went to or what problem he's solving on a project that he has seen a hundred times it's that still has not been kind of implemented firm wide as a standard or some unique new challenge that that his experience is affording him a, a way to solve that problem like nobody else can. I mean, those are the things like I love Being in an office for, because you don't, Mm -hmm. like you said, you're you're not just leaving a Teams channel open all day long where anybody can drop in and just overhear what you're what you're doing or see what Mm -hmm. you're doing, like you could in an office building. Mm -hmm. And I worry mostly about the emerging professional, you know, the youngsters, as it were, who get to just kind of learn through osmosis in so many ways like that.
1: Yeah, I was I was I was going to say like I made a point of traveling to all of our different offices. Mm -hmm. At least a couple times a year, I'd be in each one of our offices. Yeah. Um, and it's a great way to drum up work, and it's a great way to have FaceTime with people and have them realize, you know, what what they might be doing inefficiently or, like, things they weren't exposed to, or, you know, I'd give a talk, and then the next couple months, you'd get this huge influx of work. Yeah. And I had enough, you know, I've been doing this for five years, so I had enough um, momentum, you know, at least so far, that... People know who I am, but yeah, if you're just starting out, um, it's a lot harder to kind of build up that awareness, um, virtually Mm -hmm. that it is to just go do a lunch and learn in DC and, you know, an hour's worth of work will get you months worth of, worth of, uh, you know, projects. So, um, that's a hard, we've been doing, um, our technology group has been doing, uh, like weekly talks on Fridays at lunch, Mm -hmm. you know, where we we all – and we get a decent amount of people, but you can't depend on other people's proactive behavior to get work. You have to go to them a lot of times. So you so. guys
0: are kind of seeding the seeding the culture with this kind of continued communication of types of things that – types of problems you're solving, types of tools you're building just to, yeah. in hopes to get some kind of like, a, oh, I could I could use something like that, right? Or I could use mm-hmm. this that's different than that but maybe related. I yep. can see that. And then –
1: our data team, we you know we have a uh, academic office hours kind of you know the where once every other week it's like an hour where bring everything anything you want you know let's talk about data within the context of our firm and that brings in a very you know you're surprised by the people that show up um, and it's awesome because you you uh, you get contact you know you just need a bunch of different avenues I think to try to pick get as many people as you can because you know we've had people that weren't proactive about contacting people and then the institutional knowledge of their existence just kind of disappears yeah. and th- then it's like what are you doing what are you doing here yeah. you, you you can't just rely on being assigned things cuz you're making it up as you go at least as far as my yeah my trajectory right,
0: right. yeah totally
1: <laughs> it only doesn't exist <laughs> okay how do you sell this
0: right <laughs> Yeah, so it, it it's like partially just having those opportunities for those collisions to happen, but then also being consistent about it is that takes a, a level of discipline that a lot of people don't have.
1: You see that a lot with you know the whether it's YouTube or or whatever kind of medium you're pushing, uh, or you know I I run the uh, Dynamo meetup group, mm-hmm. you know which now we're kind of transitioning to the computational design or computational whatever. Yeah hacking is cool group um (laughs) but uh we've had ebbs and flows of activity as as is natural but when you can really string together a solid year of meetings um attendance just skyrockets because it's a predictable thing that people look forward to and i think that's the same for any kind of anything you're trying to push that predictability of media um or contact uh People know when you're coming and, and what to expect. That's where you really get, get traction, yeah. which is hard, you know, darn near impossible now other than digital formats.
0: So are you guys doing, you said you had office hours, you've got this this computational group that meets, is it is it just like... People are showing up with a presentation, or are you just showing up with, "Hey, I need help with this," or "Here's an idea, let's tr- let's brainstorm it? Is it just all of the above? Is it just?
1: It's kind of the uh, the office hours are like, uh, you know, whatever you want, mm-hmm. um, just a conversation, and the people that are able to make things happen are there, um, and anybody can show up and just be like, "Our project is struggling with whatever," or "We have an idea for this," or it's just a very loose kind of thing where. The uh, design technology kind of lunch and learns are more of a, we feature a different, you know, last year or last week we had shared details. Mm-hmm. The week before I did um, I did an intro to Rhino and then um, my colleague Andy did a, uh, so you know Rhino, but do you knew th- know this, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the little more advanced. So within an hour we covered the ends of Rhino mm-hmm. so everybody learned something and i mean i learned something from him when we were going over it yeah. so you know you um and then there's always you know you sprinkle in revit and Bluebeam and all the other things yeah. so there's kind of two avenues one is um you know prescriptive and one is spontaneous yeah
0: i thought it would be be fun to kind of talk about because now now you've talked about uh, you're building an ADU. Uh, you, yep. <laughs> you uh, I remember. I, I attended your, your desk university.
1: Yeah, I saw you on there. I, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was good to see you.
0: Even a Your <laughs> <I'm familiar laughs> name. Yeah. So so then you know I got to see and and it was like somebody was like that is the coolest background on oh, Zoom yeah, I've I yeah. ever seen. Right. So your your garage, <laughs> which you you have set up with your you're nine fourteen yeah. in the background, and you've got some string lights and a snowboard. And I, from what I recall, yeah. so uh, yeah. I mean, and that to me just speaks to what I know about you, as far as like like that was the, the it really was the quintessential Dane Stokes backdrop. Okay, <laughs> right. and, and and now we're talking about these computational design uh, and co- computational group uh, office hours meetups, lunch and learns. Okay, so. There's a few things there, and I think they are all threaded together by you know, where do you come from, right? So you, <laughs> you, yeah. uh, I I think it would be cool to kind of just go back, and we talked about you know as as far as topically over email what what we could maybe talk about today, and it was it really kind of evolved from you just being a maker. So where did that all begin? I mean, and and then how does that evolve over time to turn into what what you're doing with that now?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a weird story. Um, whenever I, like I've done a, a couple talks for, you know, our interns or something, and it's like, how to get here, and I always preface it by being like, if you want to do what I do, you probably shouldn't follow that, my your squiggly path. Uh, exactly, yeah, because I, I kind of wander yeah. through life in weird ways. But I actually started out as a, um, well, I went to, I, I, I have always been, a maker and a builder and a creator since the beginning of time. My, my dad, um, was a, uh, he taught people how to build, um, military aircraft for Boeing. So he like, he was an instructor where he'd be like, okay, I need to teach people how to put rivets in carbon fiber today. I need to teach people how to use like, you know, liquid nitrogen to, to work with whatever. So he always, you know, uh, my whole life, I've been surrounded, and my mom is just a you know a totally creative um, person that just both of my parents kind of let me do whatever I wanted, and it was always geared towards building and creating and gardening and carpentry. So I I was not a great high school student at all. Like not really interested in kind of the structured existence of school mm-hmm. really at all. I didn't learn math till I was in my twenties. Um, like really. But um, I so I went to a, a, an automotive uh, technical school called Yotech when I got out of high school um, and got a, a couple associates degree in um, automotive fabrication, chassis design, bodywork, painting, upholstery. Um, basically, you know, a, a degree in, in automotive restoration, um, and then ended up at a, a race shop in Las Vegas that did uh, engine conversions on Porsches. Which is why I have a an STI engine in my 914. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of a, a we designed a, we, we sold kits to convert do engine conversions. We also did cars in house. So mine was kind of the test bed. We designed you know the the kit to put a Subaru engine in a 914. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that for about two years. I raced competitively. I was, I was the head of research and development for that for that team, but. By the time I was 22, I had back problems and I could see that there, you know, you don't see a lot of really old mechanics and, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not, I was like, I can't retire. I can't retire in this. I can't keep crashing cars and, you know, racing and, and lifting transmissions. So I thought, you know, mechanical engineering seemed like a, a reasonable collegiate, you know, avenue. So I went in mechanical engineering, um, I, in order to test, in order to start, uh, engineering, you have to test into Calc one mm-hmm. and due to my, uh, my high school and, and academic career or lack of interest in math, I didn't qualify for anything. I literally tested from number skills all the way through to get into Calc one in one sitting to get into college. Mm-hmm. And I, I just got all of the for dummies books <laughs> from like number skills to, to geometry and algebra. And, and, you know, so going into Calc 1 with no understanding of anything. And pretty quickly, I realized that engineering was too focused. It, I, I spontaneously started oil painting because half of my brain was being starved. And then it was like, okay, what's like easy engineering with more art in it? And it was like, oh, architecture is cool. I've never been interested specifically in buildings or the, you know, the AEC environment. I've just been interested in making things. Mm-hmm. So I went to University of Boulder, um, got an undergrad degree there. That's where I really got interested in kind of grasshopper. And it wasn't because of grasshopper. It was because I was building complex, you know, kind of feature walls and stuff and doing it manually didn't make sense. It was too hard. It took too long. So, you know, I, I was never really much of a computer person, but computer enabled me to build real things better and faster and more complicated Um so that was kind of how I get it got into that, and then um, I got a master's degree at Penn, which really upped the. I I got in with like advanced placement, and I had basically a whole year of electives to take. So, and from any school I wanted. So I did robotics classes, and bookmaking classes, and and uh, programming classes, and and just really kind of diversified my my architectural education into something that was like very tech savvy, but still very grounded in fabrication and and you know the uh affecting the real world with with digital processes Mm -hmm. so i interned at at uh, my last year school i interned at at zgf in the model shop and they were they were planning on kind of you know they moved their interns all around so you get a flavor of whatever and when it came time to leave the model shop i basically didn't leave so i was just there for like four months and completely ignored, you know, the architecture department and everything else cuz I was like, no, this is awesome. I've got laser cutters. I've got, you know, I'm good. Um <laughs> so when it came time to get a job, I went back to to ZGF, started as an A1 in architecture and in less than a year I had um I had transferred over to technology and kind of made they made me my own um you know, it was i uh, I'm a technology manager now, but it was like a design technology specialist. I think was the the term we made uh, up. So it, you know, digital fixer. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I've kind of been here ever since. But it, it you know, it's always kind of stemming from that. You know, I, I'm not to disparage architecture, but it's never been a huge focus of mine. It's it's the um, architecture is the best way to make cool things and get and have a desk job and get paid (laughs) to do cool things you know it's like that perfect kind of venn diagram of like it's real but it's you know you're not a scientist Uh, i don't know it's it's that perfect kind of I never know what I'm going to do every day
0: and that's what I need. <laughs> that's awesome. That's a great way to explain. They're
1: all fires. At least they're all different fires. <laughs> and that,
0: that totally speaks back to your original comment about how you got to where you are, right? Because you, you never knew what was next and you've kind of created and then jumped at these opportunities mm-hmm. just by being curious. Like, you're so such a curious yeah. guy. And I, I know like when we got together in New York and, and had that kind of initial talk about just the stuff that we grew up doing, I felt such a huge like kinship there because the story is very similar, except your stuff is like next level. Like when you talk about riveting carbon fiber and using liquid nitrogen, because you've got like, you've got to create these conditions to do this thing like that your dad kind of dealt with. Mine was very, it was like nails and a hammer, right? So like I said, your stuff was probably next level and that's, that to me is evident in where you've taken it to right so when i see that backdrop on zoom of your like fully custom fabricated 914 because you've done it's like you couldn't just stop at an engine replacement right and and i'm um, yeah. you, you you went you, I have a you take it to the next then. level <laughs> <laughs>
1: i bite off more more than i can chew and then I mean I'm totally A D D, but I I, I I usually finish most of my projects even if I've I mean the Porsche I've been working on that for
0: I was gonna ask if you finish well, your projects and, or not. Let's
1: see. <laughs> I, I do. I, I do. I it's just a matter of time. It's just how long it's gonna it's gonna take. But the Porsche, I bought it when I was whew, eighteen and I'm thirty six now and it's driving, but it's full tube chassis. I cut the body off the car and then welded it all together and put it back on. Like, I mean, it's, you know, yeah. it's an escalating issue, but now I've ruined the car so much that I can't, I can't not finish it because then it would mean it would die. Right. right? And no one, one t- will, like, no one will take
0: it. Like no one, no one could do what no. you wanted to oh, do no. with it because it, there's so much like embedded knowledge and skill in that thing. There's like, you can't hand that kind of a project off. <laughs>
1: yeah. You
0: didn't comment any of your code, Dane. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I actually have, I have commented pretty well because I, I've been following the uh, The whole build is documented on a, um, it's called 914world.com. Uh, the car is called the ankle biter, but um, you can search <laughs> it and find it. But I have like a 75 page build thread where when I went off to grad school, I did forget a lot of the things I'd done. And I would have to go back to the build thread to remember what I was building, you know, what my logic was. To follow it up, you know, three or four years later, because um, you do forget. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, been, but the, I will say like the the online, like the I've got a group of friends that are following the build and they're the the main reason that I've kept going on it, because I don't want to like <laughs> I don't want to not the motivation. follow through. You know, I
0: don't want to. <laughs> well, not follow they're the through. accountability. Okay. They're not the motiv- they're- <laughs>
1: They're, yeah they're the people that I know are gonna give me crap if I don't yeah. you know if I don't finish it so that's that's good it's good to have
0: friends I've got like friends that. like that at the office too because like <laughs> i've got I've got the sixty nine dots roadster that is in the third paint shop uh, and <laughs> I thought it was done and I well, <laughs> and I called the guy the other day and I'm like, hey, I just wanted to get a status update. He's like, uh, can you call you back? I'm in the middle of an estimate, and he never called back <laughs> so this is what happens when you drop your Beloved project yeah. off with some expectation around schedule, and it's not their priority.
1: I hate to disparage an entire population, but body shops are not necessarily the a place to get fast and reliable results. Yeah. I have found. Yeah, I,
0: you kind of get it when you get it, right? And you don't, <laughs> yep. you don't complain yep. about that. Yes. Yeah. Okay.
1: And it's a it's a enough thing that you know you can't do it yourself yeah. mostly. Yeah.
0: Yep. My neighbor did though. Like he's got he's got a booth in his garage. I should have just talked to him. Oh wow. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: anyway. Ugh. So like you, like my dad was an Air Force mechanic. Uh yep. my grandfather was a geologist uh and like out of that came this kind of similar mentality of like we're going to do a project, right? And we mm-hmm. do projects and we don't always finish them. Um and and I actually that's kind of an interesting Uh, rabbit hole to go down but i actually had to make a decision i i probably made the decision 10 years ago maybe something like that like i am actually going to finish my projects that i start because up until Mm -hmm. then i had a terrible track record of doing of Mm -hmm. actually finishing them so because i i'm so interested in so many things that it's easy to get distracted. And I am, like I've said before, I'm trying to live five different lives at the same time because we only get one and I want to make the most of it. Yep. And so, uh, and I just can't be satisfied, right? So there's so many interesting things out there. Uh, you know, there's right now it's like, well, I, I guess leading up to this point, it was like I, I I wanted to I just had to finish my license. Like that was actually the first thing that I decided I was going to finish that I had started, oh, wow. yeah. you know, seventeen years prior when I graduated from college, and mm-hmm. it was like I still didn't feel done, and I still had this guilt and this weight on me that I was like I got to finish that thing so that I can move on. And mm-hmm. through that process of number one making that decision, and number two actually doing it, I built. That discipline that I needed to actually finish projects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was that's quite, quite yeah, a process. Yeah, no, that makes
1: sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's a great way. I mean, if you can if you can get your license, then then I'm sure a lot of other things seemed a lot easier. relative. <laughs> I would certainly rather build an entire house than go through that process. Well, yeah, and especially uh,
0: after waiting so long and having four yeah. teenagers at the same, you know, at home when you're doing it, and all of the things that come along with. You know, having a job and having a podcast and having four kids and doing these things, and and so, like I said, it actually built kind of that that disciplinary muscle that I needed to be able to accomplish other things. Yeah,
1: I will say, like a a, a lot of projects that I don't finish are the ones that are, you know, my work because it's. I, I'm sure you, you've you experienced this too, like that, when you're interacting with teams, the goals change a lot, yeah. or whether they need something or not changes a lot, or whether they have time for something or deadlines or whatever. So I do have, I mean, there are, you know, 50 unfinished projects, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to finish them, and that it doesn't mean that you don't come back to them, because I think as much as we say like all of our buildings are unique precious jewels that can never be repeated like the process is not that different and teams run into the same problems Mm -hmm. again and again and again so even if one team didn't you know backed out of a thing they wanted neurotic documentation and saving of no matter how far you've gotten in a process um it's still farther than nothing yeah um i mean i've gone back to I mean, just the other week I went back to like twenty sixteen and pulled out a script I had done and and tweaked it to do something totally different. But you gotta have things in in your in your toolkit. Um, even if the tool isn't done, you've at least done enough exploration to make informed decisions. Um you've done you know, you've done enough um building to know whether something's possible or not. And and I think that kind of there are places where it's okay to only do half of something mm-hmm. and then pick it up five years later. It doesn't really matter. I mean, you might be like opening up a Dynamo script and being like, "Okay, let's build this in Rhino inside," but you, the logic is already figured out, and the you know the you've run into you you see where like oh Revit won't let you do that, and it doesn't matter what program you're using to hack it. There's certainly I I, I have very neurotic documentation of my process and the deliverables because, um, you know, you, you got to keep marketing happy too. Right.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's <a, laughs> got to make the shiny. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You got to make the bells and whistles that people can show off for sure. Yep. But yeah, I think that's an interesting point about this kind of messy process that we find ourselves in. And to me, that doesn't really square with the idea of. Now, like I think it's it's come up before in in meetings that you and I have been in together, which is big data, AI, right? And it's like, okay, show a hands who's doing this, and no hands go up, yeah. right? It, because, yeah. and, and I, it speaks to that process that you just explained, right? Because okay. because there isn't consistency and there isn't completion uh, because it isn't required all the time. Um, a lot of that stuff is just waste of the process. Um, much like a leftover sheet of plywood that's cut in some weird increment on a job site, right? It's just that's what it yep. took to get to the end. It doesn't didn't really need to be useful beyond that point. And the industry, our industry architecture has has a problem with that in the marketing side of things, which is we want to be saying that we're using big data. We want to be saying that we're using AI to help us make these decisions and augment our people with with good clean, But again, like it's just kind of not how it works. And so is it even worth pursuing because that's not how it works and that's not how it has worked ever before? That's a lot of like institutional cultural behavior to try to change. And man, talk about like who that's not what we signed up to do, right? We signed up to be architects of buildings, right?
1: (laughs) You know, I've had this conversation with, I I totally agree with what you said. Like, I've had this conversation with a couple of people and and I I posed this hypothetical of, you know, if, say today, we could push a button and a building would come out. I don't think we would be financially rewarded for that Mm -hmm. because clients, like a lot of our clients, they reach out to us to build a building. But... They also reach out to us to work through problems together to flush out their ideas a lot of times when you're you're in a meeting like you solve a lot of or you learn a lot of things that you didn't even think you would learn about them that would change the deliverable um, and you know if i if I started a startup and said okay you know one button buildings I would have no credibility and no one would buy a building from me so it's kind of this like even if we were able to accomplish it which i doubt we are on a on a you know i mean you can you can build Pulte homes all day but you know like a a custom academic right. you know like technology center is not um, There there's so many moving parts that that even if you could somehow miraculously push a button and have it created i don't think anyone would believe in its validity at least in this within the next you know whatever decade or you know until until we we trust ai more or um we wouldn't have gone through any kind of like conversation or gained the trust of the client to the point that that we could you know push a button and make a thing so i'm kind of like i've i've certainly explored ai and machine learning um in certain avenues but uh as far as actually creating like You know, going the full automation route, I'm really skeptical just based on how we sell buildings and how we sell ourselves and how we solve problems. Uh, You know, it's it's not really a car where, and even, you know, cars aren't either, but like self-driving relative to architecture seems like a really easy problem to solve. (laughs)
0: Uh, Interesting. Because you don't
1: have that. It's like, don't hit things. right. Right. stay in lines uh, you know i i and that's super hard to do right mm-hmm. so yeah it's kind of this i i think the biggest gains we've had which are still you know another unfinished project that every year we get build on and and work towards but um computer vision and computer recognition is 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 an area where i think um we could inform our process better because rather than putting a ton of hardware into a building to monitor person movement and then something else to like, you know, then a person to count chairs or whatever, and then someone to log like when they used whatever amenities, you know, you could have one GoPro camera. Yeah. That says, okay, there are four people in this room. There are five chairs. It's four fifths full. The TV is not black. So it's being, you know, used mostly just from the, the reduction replacing hardware with software Mm -hmm. i think is where you know we've seen like okay this is actually something that we can use right now but again then you've got camera in client spaces which is another whole Mm -hmm. big brother state thing Mm -hmm. so yeah it's a and and you know good luck telling someone oh no it's okay the you know the 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 video camera is just being processed by a computer it doesn't know you it's like well that's even weirder Mm -hmm.
0: Let's take a quick break to share more about our sponsors. You've heard about Avail here on the Troxel Podcast, and I'm excited to tell you they have a new message for you, my friends. Avail is designed by designers for design professionals, so it's no wonder Avail focuses on visuals in its platform. While Avail has always provided high-resolution previews, there are some new visual enhancements you should know about. These are channel cards and key cards. They're visual gateways to your content, and they're both customizable. Channel cards have been available since Avail Desktop 4.0. Think of them like album covers for each content channel you create. Channel cards are designed to make navigating your firm's assets quick and easy. And with channel cards, the look and feel of Avail conforms with your firm's standards. Next up is key cards, and these are the latest addition to Avail and are available since version 4.3. What are they? Keycards visually group content within a channel, and they derive data from your tags to make finding content easier. So they're created from the work you've already done. By adding custom graphics to your keycards, navigating content within a channel improves immediately. Keycards also drive the breadcrumb trail in the latest Avail Desktop 4.3 release. Navigate through your channels using breadcrumbs. And a new breadcrumb control is displayed on a channel when navigating with keycards. Breadcrumb items allow the user to navigate to the previous state easily. To see all of these new visual enhancements in action, head over to getavail.com to learn more. That's get getavail, dot com to learn more. And now let's get back to our conversation. It's interesting to me to kind of go rewind here through that whole spiel that you just gave, because there's so many interesting things that we could talk about there and I, I, we don't need to hit them all, but what there is some kind of romantic notion that you see in certain people talking about that idea of that push button solution. Uh, and, and it, you're right. It totally does kind of leave the client out of the process, right? It's like, no, it's here was your site. You, here was the program, here's your building, right? This is exact. Mm-hmm. And, and on many levels, at what we do as architects is is not exclusive like that. It's, it's, more, it's way more inclusive. Like you said, there's things that come up during that discovery process and through that design process that you would have never imagined would come up. And they mm-hmm. influenced the decisions that we made as we went from problem statement to solution, and that mm-hmm. is a a wild ride. It's not a straight line, right? Uh, it's all over the place, and there's lots of starts and stops, and there's lots of redos. And I thought you meant this. Nope, we actually meant this. And actually, somebody else just got hired, and they think something different. And now we're going to change it. Yep, that happens all the time. <laughs> uh, and yep. so I don't. I I'm not kind of overtaken by that romanticism put upon this idea of a push button building. I don't think that. I don't think that onebuttonbuildings.com is, is, I mean, you could check the domain right now. Maybe you've got, you're onto something. (laughs) But that, but that to me is not, that's not what I want to do. And I think it's interesting when we're put in a position as technologists and architecture firms to maybe attempt to try to, you know, attempt to do that. It just is like, well, that's not on my list of things to do right now. Um, And I don't know that architecture wants that either that but i yeah. will also say that uh, there's two arguments i think that kind of work on the opposite side of this and this is kind of where i straddle the line and say okay number one clients like to buy things not processes right so mm-hmm. they want a building if you want one button building that's that's what you pay for and you get it and you don't necessarily want to spend the next three years going through that process because it's scary it's costly there's problems there's ups and downs it's emotional there's all these things kind of attached to that process that people don't necessarily want either
1: no i think that's i think that's valid and i think that you know there are certainly plenty of architecture firms that that probably do have a lot of uh, you know I'm, i'm speaking specifically for like the kind of clientele that you know ZGF is going after um one of my colleagues used to work for I don't know if it was Pulte or whatever created a home but like he he wrote a piece of software probably 30 years ago that just told you all the different houses you you could make with a pile of shapes Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like the foam that they cut out and then stucco on top of um and that was you know I think it's it just depends on what you're deliverable is and the complexity of your deliverable and what your your client expects which there could be a huge shift in architecture where it's like we don't care if it's not as good as it can be uh we want something efficient and we just want it cheap and done which you know i mean you can buy a pole building that it probably wasn't created by ai but it's not it has like two parameters going into it so it's not uh it's not as complex of a of an issue but I mean, I can tell you, like, as far as trying to just, just from the perspective of Dynamo and Rhino inside and basic C sharp automation uh, within the Revit environment, even the variables there, um, it's really hard to reuse tools, yeah. even from project to project. Right. The the variables are just so, and I think a lot of that is just a lack of standardization and a lack of understanding of what needs to be standardized. Mm-hmm. But it's also just kind of the the nature of the craft, I I think. Which I don't know what you know in a hundred years, what what will no longer be sacred, or what expectations will be. But you know, I can tell you right now, it's it's automation and architecture. There are a couple things that that you really do see all the time. Um, you know, renaming room elevations and these kind of i mean they're more a default in Revit's programming than anything else Mm -hmm. but like these are things you have to patch but yeah the conscious generation of of architecture is um actually i I gave a it was it's one of the favorite talks i've given um to the aia uh it was like the tap technology and practice uh this last year they have their conference in dc and um they put it together where there was a Someone had to speak for a topic and someone had to speak against mm-hmm. it. And I got to speak against um, automation and computational design, which was like such a treat because we have to be such cheerleaders all the time. And, and to finally talk about, you know, like the real struggles there are. Yeah. But there are a couple points I made in, in that talk that one of them was um, oh, it was about generative design. Uh where that's kind of the middle ground, like, okay, it's not AI, but it's you know, it's like taking parameters and changing them and then you can see like what's been done. But all all of the times that I've done automatic optioneering for teams, they have been completely uninterested Mm -hmm. in it. And I was kind of wondering why. You know, is it me? Am I making bad (laughs) options? Like is it, you know, is it there's there too many options? But it was that the you know we we go through the scheme and option process not to make options but to understand the problem better
0: to learn yeah i
1: think to learn and you if you make 10 bad things then you understand what good yes, is better exactly
0: and you have the justification for it
1: <laughs> exactly and and the automation of that process kind of irks me and i think there's a correlation between that and any other Thing you're doing unconsciously, automatically um, in a in a design, where maybe you don't understand it as well. Mm-hmm. And and you know, along those lines too. I, I um, you know, when you're automating a, a process, that anyone that's capable of automating a process probably isn't dedicated enough to architecture to understand what they're doing. Um, you know, one understand what the problem mm-hmm. is that they're solving. They have the the ability to automate like i don't know what i'm creating necessarily in an architectural context i can create it but i don't know if it's right or not i need to rely on real architects with years of experience to tell me like yes that's how
0: you know a, a room data sheet goes together, well and how, or, did, they, or what how have, did they get that information right how do they get that knowledge i should say and, it, and yeah. it was through making all of those mistakes over all those years yeah. and and to me like that's what i'm thinking when you're talking about this is Number one, you're learning through that process, but it doesn't just apply to this project. It applies mm-hmm. to all yep. projects from now on. And by yeah. going through that process and by learning those things of what does and doesn't work, like I said, it doesn't just apply to this project. So on another one that has a similar problem during one small piece of that process, you can be like, oh, I've already tried that and it, and it didn't work and here's why. Let's move on to the next interesting problem. Mm-hmm.
1: And I've certainly created tools that, you know, like say a beginning architect who is more conscious of the technology available that to them says like, this task is so boring. I don't want to do it, which is awesome. Like I tell people, like if you're bored at your job, then chances are we can probably automate what you're doing because you should be doing like fun, engaging, you know, like let's, let's, um, you know, you play with massing studies while I figure out detail tags, right. you know? <laughs> but Both of us combined might not necessarily understand what we're actually trying to solve Mm -hmm. because, you know, I can solve it and they can do it. But there might be, you know, more advanced things in play that we don't understand. So um, I had a conversation with a software developer that, um, you know, they're like in that talk, I would said, you know, like you might get an inferior product by by automating something. And he was like, why would it be inferior? It's because. No one that actually knows what process is being automated is taking part in this process. Like someone new might ask for a thing and I might build a thing, but neither of us have done it for real or understand why we're doing it. So that knowledge feedback, like how do you integrate, um, how do you codify that, you know, 50 year knowledge into a tool um, rather than just blindly solving a problem maybe you don't understand. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. There, I think um, that there is kind impressive. of a
0: tug of war also going on where it's and and maybe this is just my perception, so I want to bounce it off you and see. There's there's mm-hmm. kind of this idea that all code that gets written on a project will be reusable, and and mm-hmm. what you're saying and I what that's what I think too is like there's a lot of unique stuff, a lot, and there's there's actually a lot less reusable stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean. It, there are a lot of things in theory that fall apart in practice when you say, like, when one parameter is different, or you know, one dependency is different, or you're, oh, this is a, this is a BIM three hundred and sixty project, you know, whatever. Like, um, it is, it is, a, it's a hard environment, I think. To you know, I, I I know nothing about like you know structural analysis, but I'd imagine like a beam is a beam, and there's maybe a little more. You know you're not going to be like, well, let's put in glass here I don't know whatever <laughs> like it, it, it's just such a weird diverse environment that we work in that it it does not lend itself well to data collection, automation, you know the, the, these these um, repeated tools, which is unfortunate because that's basically what I've based my career on but um, there is you know clearly enough value to to keep me busy all the time, but it, it I'm not going to say it's not a struggle. Yeah. For, and I'm, I know you've, you've experienced the same thing where you really do want to reuse everything because a lot of times it does take longer to build a computational tool yeah. than to do something by hand. So it really doesn't make sense to do it unless you're going to reuse it a lot.
0: Because it does take time to develop that, that code, that, that no. script.
1: It'll take at least two or three times as long as doing, doing it thing. by hand yeah. once. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're only going to do it once, then don't call me, you know.
0: But like you said, you Um, went back to 2016 and dug up an old script that had the logic already figured out. And nobody in 2016 necessarily thought that in 2020 that was going to pay off again. And that's the kind of stuff that's that's interesting to me as well because it's a variable in this equation that is rarely, I don't know, you can't quantify that right because you never know what's going to happen and you never even can count on your memory remembering that 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 thing even existed yeah
1: and that's a weird thing too i think as far as um as far as like the 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 vulnerability of having only one person that knows a thing um we had a guy that did all of our post-occupancy evaluations that that quit Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden like the entire process of survey monkey to you know uh was he using like there were like 14 different you know softwares that came together to create this report and and um and he quit and then it's like okay it's all gone like if i quit no one would know where to find the marketing materials they rely on the you know the even like the dependencies like you know like all this infrastructure of of um of knowledge um it's been codified but no one knows how to uncode it Yeah, it's a it's a weird it's a weird place to be for for um for staffing and just uh, institutional knowledge. Like uh, we all have codified knowledge, whether it's digital or in our brain. But staffing changes. You know, how does that? Do you keep the knowledge when someone leaves, or is it just in a different bucket that you still have it, but you don't know how to unlock it, or um the the relying on a single person for an entire process is is an interesting um, yeah. conundrum. So
0: so this is something that I think you guys I'm not going to give you a uh, 100% score on this on this quiz right now, but you guys inspired me and you you've created I don't know how much you want to talk about this kind of web project that you guys have. But but you've you did create some semblance of a way to document at least with Rhino scripts, you know, grasshopper scripts, uh, so that somebody else opens it up and kind of can figure out what the hell's going on in there. And to me, that was, you know, not coming from a programming or a coding or even a no-code background, just from like a direct modeling background. That was never a thing, right? Like mm-hmm. when you're when mm-hmm. just modeling and you're putting together pieces, there there's no codification of that it's more of an architectural training which is composition and light and shadow and space and, yeah. and all those things which on some level is obviously it's experience and it's all these things but it's not like a repeatable process like code is so yeah you guys yeah. actually put together kind of a resource and i, what I guess my question is, is when you talk about this idea of somebody who has this kind of this knowledge base and they win the lottery and they they walk away um Mm -hmm. do you guys take a proactive stance in training people so that there's not just one person or is that just something you're trying to figure out as you go along because i know you guys have done other stuff where you do start to put together these standards of coding so that somebody else who comes along can hopefully figure out how to decode it
1: yeah i mean i think anyone that's using um any kind of code you know should annotate assuming that someone uh is going to go into it totally blind and and I have to figure out. And we are reasonably good about that. Um, I think I think where it where it falls apart is actually the, the the skill sets of of staff and how many people you could explain the thing entirely. But probably ninety five percent of architecture staff wouldn't even be able to open the program. Not any fault of theirs. It's just like not they don't do it every day not their expertise it's not they don't do it at all Um, and that's fine but you know it it if someone can use grasshopper say um annotation would certainly help building it in a way you know grouping things and pairing you know logic uh clumps together uh is certainly helpful but you know I, i I don't know where the stat came from. It's probably not real, but it feels right. Like, you know, if you have 10% of your staff that can open Grasshopper without running away, you're doing better than most of us. <laughs> yeah, it does feel um, right. <laughs> so, you know, there were a decent amount of people using, you know, some people using Grasshopper um, at ZGF, but I was like the only technology staff person that, that was really, um, like a, a firm resource mm-hmm. so there's a lot of pressure like you know i get hit by a bus we lose a lot
0: of tools that's why i said win the lottery Dane. not yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> let me be pessimistic mm. here <laughs> um but uh you know now we now that computational design has has become a little more mainstream we have we have a handful of people that Anything I've built, they can usually open up, and they might need to call me and be like, "What did you do here?" But generally, you can take it apart and understand how it works. But even still, you know, if I'm running into you know problems, like you know, I'll, I'll pick on Dynamo because I, I have... Because we love
0: to pick on Dynamo. because we love it,
1: uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but if I can't get a tool to work that I've built because of some arbitrary you know piece of code. Or, or some, you know, oh, the link didn't load right or whatever. Then how is someone else going to just seamlessly jump in and, and start you know, just clicking the button? I, I really do think, you like, you get into this thing where it's like, if you're going to solve a problem that other staff are going to use that tool, it really does have to be like a one-button solution.
0: Totally. Um, I, I totally agree with that. Because have, if it isn't. It can't even require dependencies. Yeah and that you that's know? what's in their pocket every day right it's like this thing that just works and you just have to push yeah. this one button and it does the thing that i want it to do and to me like this kind of gets back to that autodesk open letter that was published which was basically a bunch of architects saying damn it this thing's way too difficult to use and we're not it's yeah. not even doing the things that we've been asking for it to do for this many years i mean it really to me comes down to how complicated it is to use the software and i think what you're talking about speaks directly to that it is for nerds period that's Mm -hmm. what it's for Mm -hmm. and that's what it takes to successfully have have a a decent outcome out of the using the software because the software is absolutely incredible right it can do things that most people can't make it do it's and it's absolutely incredible under the hood. And these other tools that have been kind of strapped onto it, like Dynamo and Rhino Inside and Grasshopper and all these things, can make it do even more stuff by even fewer number of people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, the, the the Autodesk thing is interesting. Um, I, I In grad school, I had a teacher that after our three-quarter term, she made us delete our models and said, okay, now rebuild it for the final. And it was the meanest, most heinous thing that had ever happened to me. <laughs> but every single person's project got better because they weren't haunted by yes. all of these decisions that were driving things that were no longer important. And I think that when you, you know, like Revit is a 20-year-old piece of software. Yep. And it wasn't even, you know, Autodesk bought it. And then they poked at it. And then they did all their things. And then they put you lots know, of
0: Band-Aids on things. Whatever. Yep.
1: Yeah, it's just all band-aids and they needed to like 10 years ago they should have deleted the file and rewrote it because you know as someone that works in the Auto De- in the Revit API you're like there are a lot of ghosts in here. You know, there are a lot of like weird um it's not like AutoCAD that basically was just a screen for a UI or for a for a an API. You know, it 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 uh You're like getting a, it's like playing telephone kind of, you know, where the buttons aren't the same as the code and it, and, and it's, they really should have done a hard rewrite, which I think is one of the things that is creating this kind of strife because it's, the user does have to go through a lot of hoops, Mm -hmm. uh, to generate something that should be intuitive because like, oh, curtain walls, that's a totally different computer program. Um, you know, like. Uh, building pads like oh no that's a totally different you know mm. that works differently Um, it's just not not conducive to a, a user using it intuitively i, I think um, well
0: and there's just like a different paradigm now than there was 20 something years ago about making buildings and right Re- revit was designed for documenting buildings mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. you know there was no such concept realistically or or in a big way around what what people coin is model based delivery. So now we have people kind of fighting the convention of delivering drawings at all because there's so much information potentially embedded in the model that what are the yeah. drawings for anymore? Right. Um and then there's there's all kinds of other things fighting that like contracts and agencies and, and insurance oh, and uh, standard yeah. of care and licensure. And there's so many Things pulling in completely different directions uh it's it's interesting because i think about you know a program that old that that just has been band-aided and band-aided forever versus a program like the the only example i can that comes to mind right now is apple's keynote software which was they wrote Mm. basically because they hated powerpoint right they wasn't doing what they wanted (laughs) and they're like we can do something better and they did they made something absolutely incredible and it was fun to use. It's probably one of my favorite applications to use ever. Um, and they, and one day they just said, "You know what? We've been kind of secretly working on this other version of Keynote. That's the future Keynote, and it does 50 percent less stuff than the one you're used to. But it's the only one we make now. So, mm. so tough mm. luck. Here you go. Like the, it's going to be awesome someday. It'll get back to, it'll get back <laughs> right. to those features someday." But they basically hit the reset button, like you said. They basically said, we're going to stop doing the Band-Aids, and we're going to start over. Because you know what happened in the meantime was the web freaking took off. And they said, what if you could not only use this on your Mac, but you could also use it on your iPhone, and you could use it on your iPad, and you can use it in the browser, and it's the same experience for everybody? Well, guess what? All this custom Band-Aid stuff that we did in the old version won't work in those newer platforms. So they did it. They did that hard decision and said, we're going to hit the nuclear reset button and start over. And it's going to be a painful few years, but when it, when we get through it, it's going to be amazing. And that's what they did. And, and Autodesk, you know, has been showing some signs of maybe doing something with a new platform, quantum plasma, whatever you want to call it. Um, And, and it's like, okay, so, so, for realsies, like what's really going on there? That that sounds intriguing. It sounds like you guys, at least, they recognize that they need to do it now. How to get there is a a wicked problem to solve, mm-hmm. I'm sure. But yeah. but man, in the meantime, things are getting nerdier and nerdier when everybody else is getting more and more used to very simple, elegant, do what I think mm-hmm. it's going to do kind of interfaces.
1: Yeah, we had a funny. Like the design technology department has a weekly chat, and and someone was, you know, we we basically only talk about Revit problems. And I, you know, I I use Revit, but I I'm not, you know, I'm the I'm the Rhino guy. I'm the you know computational Rhino guy. And someone was like, Dane, why you know why aren't you talking about you know like all your problems? It's like what am I supposed to say? Like Rhino didn't make the shape I want. Like there's not there's nothing to say because. We barely need any training for it. We it does what it needs to and it's got a command line that it's like, How do I make a line? Like, well type in line. You know, it, it's, it, not it's hidden, this really yeah. I don't have the problems that that and granted Revit is doing a lot more. Like we've tried to find other options for Revit for the scale of our projects, and it doesn't exist. Right. Like it, it I'm giving it a hard time, but I will acknowledge like it's the only program that can do you know, we're probably not going to do documentation on a million-square-foot building in Rhino, but the simplicity and the bones of it are so much more intuitive that we don't need the support staff to support it the same way that we do for, for Revit. Um, and I think, you know, like a command line would probably solve a lot of that anyway. Just, <laughs> does your program know English or not? Right.
0: right. <laughs> yeah, and autocomplete works. It gives you suggested yeah. options. It has and tips yeah. on,
1: like... Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that helps a lot, but it does, luckily we've, we've been able to develop, you know, McNeil is in Seattle. So we've, we've been able to develop a pretty good um, relationship with them. And, and it's been really interesting kind of working with that flavor of developer and, and, you know, pairing that against like our relationships with Autodesk. And I think they both are, are helping us greatly as far as creating software, but they are going about it yeah, in a very different totally way.
0: Totally different approaches. Yeah, yeah, interesting stuff. Well, I mean, I I feel like there's so many other things we could talk about. Maybe we can we can chat again sometime. But I I always and I didn't warn you about this up front, so feel free to uh, just say no. Uh, but I I tend to try to link these shows together with the different guests that I have on by asking two questions and then the final one's not really a question but so there's three things coming your way here. So the first one is okay. share share a personal hack, something that you do to help yourself perform better. It does not have to be digital. I mean, I know that a lot of the stuff we talked about is, but you've got all these other interests. Um like what do you do to motivate yourself or to keep you to get yourself more productive or I mean it could be anything like that.
1: Um I think attitude. You know, honestly like it's not a it's not a a quick fix hack, but right, I, I kind of got into a situation where like, you know, COVID is, you know, creating a situation where, um, you know, I need to create an ADU on my property for, um, for my mom. And I'm like super stoked about, um, it solves a lot of problems for all mm-hmm. of us, but I could be really, um, frustrated about having to take on this extra burden and all the work, but, At the beginning of this project, I was like, I am going to embrace this project with, like, love and um, hard work and positivity, and I'm not going to get down about this. Like, we're going to, this is going to be awesome. And it's the first project that I, like, I really, um, I focused on my mental state as much as my planning and physical, you know, requirements. And it's really, it's really helped a lot, I think. And and I've transferred that to other, other things that are frustrating and just trying to be mindful and conscious and just come from, you know, whether it's work or whatever, just come from a place of positivity and love, um, especially in this hellhole of a world that is developing. <laughs> oh, um, <man. laughs> you know, we, we need to just be as, as mentally uh, positive as possible to, to try to neutralize just everything. Right. Um, that's a great point. And uh, yeah. Um, so I think that's something that I've kind of learned. I'm not, I'm not an angry person or whatever, but like being conscious about your mental state as you approach a problem, um, pays dividends in many other, uh, or physical aspects of that project. I think, is
0: there anything that you do to help yourself get into that state because to me, I think that's where, like, you you have to develop a, a, mem- a muscle memory around that over time, or you need a sticky yeah. note on the monitor, <laughs> something <laughs> right, to be like right. smile, you know, I, yeah, whatever it is, and and so I'm yeah. wondering, like, if you do anything to help yourself get in that state so that you can set yourself up for success uh-huh. on a project like that.
1: I don't, I don't, I don't think just so. Lucky. I think I just, just you just just talk to yourself yeah. you know just tell your, yeah like, i think
0: that's a good point like what yeah, your self talk sounds really positive yeah. in that way
1: yeah, yeah yeah just just be nice to yourself like one of my biggest pet peeves is people saying that they're stupid or that they screwed something up and it's like that is life mm-hmm. like the only reason you know how to do things is because you've done them wrong before yeah. Right. And it's okay whether you're an adult or you're a five year old. Like, I've had the worst days of my life. I still, like, I knew how to put on pants. I can feed myself. I know how to ride a bus. I can get to a different city. I, like, am, you know, su- supporting my family. Like, it's so easy to get down on yeah. yourself, but it's like, you've come a long way. Like, you know, especially having a kid, you're like, wow, I really started from nothing, didn't I? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Don't don't discount your past successes that led up to your current failure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and I'm sure, like you said, you're building this for your mom. Like it's yeah. the, the the things that you talked about are going to come through in a very yeah. different way than if you didn't do that for her. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Which is going to make your future um, life <laughs> better too. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yep. So. These are just, yeah, just uh, just lead with love.
0: That's awesome. Uh, that's oh. a great, great tip. I think uh, that is a little bit harder to do for most people right now because of the isolation that many people are feeling or the fear or and, and to watch kind of the news and things devolve around them. It's It's probably harder and harder to have that attitude. So, yeah.
1: But it's also more important to like, you know, every when I get to have like a meeting with a team that I haven't seen in a long time, like you certainly, if nothing else, this has shown like how wonderful humanity is and, and, you know, nothing like losing Mm. all of your friends to realize like how good you had (laughs) it and Mm. and valuable they are and they're not gone. And, you know, we will regain some sort of normalcy, but, um, yeah just be kind
0: (laughs) well i know you're you're a busy guy but is there anybody that you're listening to or reading that is influencing you or inspiring you
1: um honestly i'm not i'm not much of a reader um i i uh yeah it's kind of a funny thing but um i am i am constantly inspired by um other makers mm-hmm. um other people that are pushing like i love have you seen um like colin furs on youtube no super kooky brit that um he builds all these like wacky contraptions that are you know like very well thought through vehicles um, or what flamethrowers or whatever but um i really do like um watching other people make things because it it makes um it makes what I attempt seem more feasible, even if I have no right to feel more confident I do yeah um, totally it's that kind of demonstration of it and, and i I don't know what the actual science on you know the transfer of knowledge, but someone showing you how to do something, whether it's digital or recorded or in person um, empowers you to take on more yourself totally. like like right now like I'm building a whole house and I have you know I know construction and wiring and whatever, but like plumbing, how does that work? You know, how it packs what's that? It just um we're we are so blessed to have like such a uh a compendium of digital resources at our fingers that um total strangers can really uh encourage you to like take on more totally and learn totally. More.
0: Yeah, if they can do it you can because and they'll and they're they're usually the one the first ones to say that. I mean yeah. I think I was going to ask you, like, h- how many times during this project have you looked up how to do something on YouTube?
1: I can't even count exactly. every day. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. I'm going through a similar process myself. I'm not adding a whole new structure, but i am been remodeling. And, and it's just incredible the amount of resources out there to help you do the thing that you don't know how to do. And it's like it is almost the matrix, right? It's like – yeah. Yeah, of course, there's going to be success and failure and trial and error and all those things when you do it yourself the first time. But, oh, my God, to just have that resource available is just it's immeasurable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So in short, I think the the the, the Internet, the internet. Um, <laughs> is. Yeah. Like, how cool is that? It's amazing. But, yeah, it's totally true. I mean, it, it um, especially in this isolated, you know, my dad knows a lot and he's certainly helped. But like we, you know. We're figuring it out and and now you have the tools um i if if i were to read it would just be reference materials anyway right, you right. know it would be like <laughs> just be, i want to see some you know have something show me show me how to do something um and that goes for digital processes or or whatever yeah. i i um We are, we're smart cookies and then we can figure it out if someone shows us and, and, and not being afraid to fail because you know, it just gives you another opportunity to
0: not fail. (laughs) I have to go install a couple of windows at some point this week myself. So I've, I've already been doing that, that research because the windows I took out are smaller than the new ones I'm putting in. So there's all kinds of waterproofing issues and, uh, yeah, there's so many things that you have to take into account that if you've never done it before, like you just got to have a place to start. So.
1: Yeah, direction of overlaps
0: is important. Totally, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, first, understand gravity. Second, understand yeah, yeah, water yeah, does not yeah, just go... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say, it doesn't just come from the up to the down position. It goes sideways and, oh yep. man, so many, yeah. so many things.
1: But I, you know, I, I just a quick aside, like I want to tack on to, to that concept. You know, it, it um. having a kid is really interesting because I... I mean, maybe it's a uh, a side effect of whatever privilege I've had, but like I'm not I'm not afraid afraid to screw up if it was if it was honestly if it was honestly done, you know, if it was in the intent of of doing something um, right, yeah. and if if you learn from it, and there's no such thing as a, a failure, you know, if if you've learned from it, and and teaching my daughter who initially I don't know where it came from, but initially it seems like we're programmed to be horrified of failure Mm -hmm. and like frustrated by a lack of success. And I think that takes a lot of discipline to kind of like realize that it's part of the, it's just part of the process. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think something that a lot of people get trained towards is perfection, right? Instead of, instead of experimentation and fail fast and learn from it. um, Yep. Or, even putting your mistakes on display, right? Uh, yeah, I think that a lot of people try to hide that kind of thing and and I you know, it's funny again like bringing it back to YouTube. I think that that's where I'll, it's it's okay to show your humanity and the real life that comes along with that we're all just faking it till we make it and we're trying to figure out how to do <laughs> <Right>? stuff. <laughs> and that I, what I love about YouTube is that is not a hundred, it's not all perfect. It's not all perfectly oh, produced. Yeah. and Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's honest. Yeah, it's, it is yeah, authentic. Yeah, exactly. And they'll tell you, like, this might not be the right way to do it, but this is what I'm going to do. And it's like, yeah. okay, well, you know, thanks for being honest And about it gives it. you like, some
0: confidence to be like, well, I, I could yeah. try that. And if I screw up, what's the, what's the harm? Yeah.
1: yeah. Then I'm not alone. Yes. <laughs>
0: <sighs> all right. Well, last question is, is there anywhere online or in real not really real life but uh covid real life where people can find out more about you or follow along with what you're doing you mentioned this uh this forum but is there anywhere else
1: yeah so if you go to danestokes.com um all of my uh, some outdated zgf stuff is there and and all of my like kind of personal and ac- favorite academic projects and my car and my motorcycle and everything everything i've done is at danestokes.com that's awesome so, um head on over there and and um and there's a contact thing too so you know if you want to want to chat hit me up no problem um i'm always always interested in meeting new people especially now that my opportunities of meeting people are are quite limited
0: now (laughs) well it's amazing how like available people are now too right so
1: yeah it's it's
0: weird isn't it yeah yeah absolutely
1: yeah it's it's just different
0: yeah so virtual coffee with dane at danestokes.com
1: yeah there you go for sure yeah well thanks
0: so much for taking the time i mean you're you're a very generous person and it's you can see it and you can hear it in your voice uh and so i appreciate that about you and hopefully we can do this again sometime soon
1: absolutely it was really great talking to you i uh yeah it's it's been it's been too long so so certainly uh certainly hit me up again i'd be happy to chat
0: Once again, a big thank you to the sponsor of this episode, Layer App, the flexible database for architects that makes it easy to view photos, files, and project data right in Revit. Remember, start your free 14-day trial at trxl. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A acom You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out and, of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for eTroxel. Talk to you soon.